If you have a Bible with you, I invite you to open it to the book of Titus. Titus chapter 3, we're taking a brief pause in our journey through the book of Hebrews. The scripture we're going to be looking at today, I think, is a really relevant. It feels just especially relevant right now. It really deals with this question. What should those of us who are believers in Jesus, what should we be doing to have a good influence in our world. I think you and I would all agree that our world could use some good influence. People might disagree on what's wrong with the world, why it's messed up. I guarantee you people will disagree on what needs to be done to fix it. But I don't know if anybody would disagree and say, oh yeah, the world's just the way it should be, no problem. Not messed up at all. And those of us who are followers of Jesus, we know very clearly that he wants us to be a good influence. You go to the Sermon on the Mount, he calls us to be salt, to be a preserving influence in our world. He calls us to be light, to display the goodness of God in a dark world. And then in Titus 2.14, it says that Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good. So you see right there, Jesus did not die for us just to rescue us from judgment. That's gloriously true, that he died to rescue us from judgment. But it also says he died to rescue us for something. And what we're rescued for is to be his people who live the way he wants us to live, doing what's good, making a difference by doing what's good. And so the question is, what is that? What should we be doing? To have a good influence in this world. Uh, and, and this is an issue where people have lots of different opinions, strong opinions, you may have noticed. Especially right after a very contentious election season, especially with all the strong disagreements about uh, COVID-19, the pandemic, what should we be doing, how should we be responding, lots of other controversy. In a time of such strongly held opinions where people can disagree from one another. Believers in Jesus disagree with one another, and sometimes very dramatically. Um, what should we be doing to influence our world for good? Some think Christians should be more involved politically. Some are convinced Christians should be less involved politically. Some think uh, the protests, boycotts, other forms of social action are the way to go to bring about change. Some stress the importance of education, teaching our kids important values and principles. There are lots of different things that we could be doing. Here's a question. Where do we start? Where do we start? 
Because out of all the things that we could be doing, and there might be many different things we could be doing and should be doing, but what's the thing we should all definitely be doing that we don't, if we're going to miss something, don't miss this. Well, we're going to see in Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 3 is where we're going to be. And here's where we'll see where to start. This is where we need to start. Now, the book of Titus is one of the letters of the Apostle Paul. Uh, This is one he wrote to a guy named Titus. Uh, Titus was one of his co-workers. Uh, He was his representative. And Titus was on the island of Crete uh, in the Mediterranean, not far from the coast of Greece. And Paul is telling Titus how to instruct the new Christians, the the people who have just come to faith, they've just heard the gospel, they've just become believers, they're being formed into a church. Paul is telling Titus how to instruct and help these new believers in Jesus to have a good influence in their world. And so we're going to learn from what he says. And when we come to verse 1 of chapter 3, Paul has just said the statement I quoted a moment ago, that Jesus gave himself for us to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what's good. Okay, now we come to the next verse. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities or to submit themselves to rulers and authorities, to be obedient and ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Well, let's notice what he focuses on. Notice the focus is not on changing social structures. He doesn't start by telling them what laws need changing, what institutions need changing, which is not to say that there aren't laws and institutions that need changing. There definitely are. But that's not where his focus is. That's not where he starts. There's a place for that. But the basic principle is, if you want to change the world, you don't start by changing the world. You start by changing yourself. Or to be more accurate, you start by letting Jesus change you, especially in this way, in how you relate to other people, the people around you, the people you interact with, on a daily basis. Because here's the thing, it's very unlikely you're going to be able to change the world if you're not having a good influence on the people who see you and hear you and talk to you and interact with you every day. To influence those people, you don't start with social activism. You don't say, you know what you people need? You need some new laws, you need, and I'm here to change them. And I'm here to tell you how to live. You don't start there. Where you start is by showing them the positive differences 
that Jesus is bringing about in your life, especially in how you relate to them. And we see a couple of differences here. And these differences are really different. Really different. These are differences that only Jesus can bring about. That's exactly the point. I want to show them Jesus. So we're going to look at these two differences. And as we do this, I really want to encourage you. If you you today would say, yes, I'm a believer in Jesus. Yes, I'm a follower of Christ. I want to encourage you to do some evaluation. And I'm not talking about evaluating the other people in your row. Or the other people in your home. Your wife, your husband, your children. Start with some self-evaluation. In other words, ask God's Spirit to show you how you're doing. Are these differences evident in your life? And if they're not, pray that His Spirit will make these differences more evident in your life. So here's the first difference. It has to do with how we relate to people in leadership. And the difference Jesus wants us to show here is an attitude of helpful cooperation. Helpful cooperation. In other words, cooperate helpfully with your leaders. So, verse 1 starts out, remind them, that is, the Christians in Crete, Remind them to submit themselves to rulers and authorities. Why do you suppose anybody needs to be reminded to do that? Do you think it's possible that submission is not something that comes naturally to us? I think it's quite possible. It's obvious. In fact, for many of us, maybe all of us, the very word submission makes most of us wince. You know, it just, it, it conjures up images of oppression and tyranny. But see, that's not biblical submission. Like so many other good things, like so many good things, submission has gotten twisted into something very, very ugly. And in addition to just the desire we have to do whatever we want, there's that twisted image of submission that makes it even worse. But the real thing, the real thing biblically is actually a beautiful thing. It's actually part of the image of God. Did you know that? Did you know that there is submission in the very nature of God? Think about that. Because Scripture teaches us that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is one of the reasons, by the way, why it's important to know this about God. Some say, ah, the Trinity, that's just, you know, that's just hard to understand doctrine. No, it's very important, and here's one of the reasons why. Because God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and each person of the Trinity is absolutely equal in essence to one another in Godness, okay? So whatever it is that makes God, God, each person of the Trinity, each person within God has that fully. Okay, that's true. 
But the Son, we're told, always submits to the Father. And we're told that the Spirit is always in submission to the Father and the Son. So part of the very glory of God is this beautiful balance, this harmony between absolute equality and submission. That's part of the very beauty of who God is, which means that submission is inherently a beautiful thing. Submission also happens to be necessary in order for leaders to be effective. Anytime you have a group of people who need to accomplish some task, some good thing, they need leaders to help them get it done. But it's really easy for us to treat leaders in ways that are not at all helpful. I'll mention a couple. One unhelpful way to treat leaders is to regard them as the answer to all your problems. That's not helpful. Because unless we're talking about Jesus, there's no way that any human leader is going to be able to answer all of your questions and solve all of your problems and fix everything that's broken. It's just not going to happen. And frankly, I think, it's my opinion, but I think that's a big problem in our current political climate. We, it's like we want our elected leaders to be the Messiah. Which, if they had all the qualifications, okay. But they don't. They're not the Messiah. And so, you know, we lavish all this attention on them, all this glory, and we set them up for failure because of our expectations being so completely unrealistic. There's no way. So that's not helpful. The other unhelpful way to treat leaders is to just have this hair trigger of resistance to resist their leadership, to criticize everything they do. And that's not hard, because we know they're fallible. We know they're going to make mistakes. That We know they're going to make decisions we don't agree with. But all too often, instead of praying for them, like the Bible instructs us to do, instead of uh, trying to help them succeed, what do we do? We complain. We criticize. We gripe. That's the natural thing to do, isn't it? That's not what Jesus tells us to do, however. He tells us to do something quite unnatural, which is to submit ourselves to those in authority. And here's the thing. The reason, the reason that that displays the working of Jesus in our lives, because the only way to do that well is by faith. True submission is not merely outward compliance. You know, like the little boy, the teacher kept telling him to sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down, and he wouldn't, and finally he did, and he said, I may be sitting on the outside, but inside I'm still standing. <laughs> well, that's not submission. That's not biblical submission. This mere outward compliance, driven by fear, fear of man, or driven by just mindless obedience. I'll give you a definition I think is true scripturally of submission. Submission is the faith-driven support of those in leadership to help them succeed as God defines success. That's true whether we're talking about government, home, church, wherever. Faith-driven. What do I mean by faith-driven? Faith-driven. 
here it is. Unless, unless we believe that Jesus really is ultimately in charge, unless we believe that he really will work all things together for our good, even through imperfect, fallible human leaders, then we're going to find it very difficult to submit. It's not what we're going to do. You know what we'll do? We'll worry. We'll fret. We'll complain. We'll do everything we can to avoid cooperating because we're we're just afraid. We're just mad. We're just something other than faith in Jesus. Now, we all know we all know that leaders sometimes go in directions that you know, we not only disagree with or we think it's a bad decision, but sometimes they actually want us to go in directions that are morally wrong. And when that's the case, submission does not mean going along with that. In fact, we can't go along with that. Why? Because our submission to Jesus always takes priority. Jesus is the only one whose authority has no limits. Every other human leader, their authority has limits. So verse 1, after telling us to be submissive and obedient, also tells us to be ready for every good work. And that's why I said submission is helping leaders succeed as God defines success. We want them to do good as God defines good. But we've got to be really careful here. We really do. Because it is all too easy to define good as whatever I happen to think. Whatever I happen to agree with, that's what's good. And so if I disagree with the leader, well, I don't have to cooperate then. So I disagree. No, no, no. <laughs> it's not about what we agree with. It, it's not about what we prefer. It's about what God says is good. And if we do not have clear-cut biblical teaching on something... Our default setting should be cooperation even about things we disagree on. That should be our default. In other words, let me put it this way. Unless a leader is telling us to do something, telling us to disobey Jesus, then Jesus himself expects us to cooperate. All right, think about that. Where did this... Where's this instruction coming from? Caesar didn't write this. Pontius Pilate didn't write this. The governor of Washington, president of the United States, the Congress didn't write this. This is from Jesus. This is from his spirit. And he says that unless obeying the human authority would be disobeying him, we are to cooperate. That's from him. And if I cannot cooperate because that would be disobeying Jesus, I still need to demonstrate an attitude of respect. You know what? It, we should look reluctant when we have to disobey. We shouldn't be like, yeah, we get to defy. 
No, it should look like, you know what, Jesus wants me to cooperate as much as possible. In this case, I can't. And I feel bad about that, but I've got to be obedient to Jesus, and I, I need to follow what he says. But wouldn't that look different? Wouldn't that look unnatural? That's exactly the point. It's not our job to look natural. It's not our job to be natural. Our job is to be unnatural, to show the world the supernatural power of Jesus to change us from the inside out, to turn us from being fretful, angry, upset people to people filled with his spirit who are confident in his ultimate leadership over all things. Anybody can complain. We don't need commandments to complain. <laughs> don't forget to complain. Oh, no. Anybody can do that. Anybody can criticize. Anybody can rebel. Only those who have experienced the grace, the kindness of Jesus Christ, can extend that grace even to lousy human leaders. You know, Christians ought to be the best citizens of any country they're in. Because they're eager to do good. Why? Because of the reputation of Jesus. That's an important consideration we should be thinking about. How am I making Jesus look in this situation? Look at 1 Peter 2.13, just in case you thought there was only one verse on this. Submit yourselves. Look at it. For the Lord's sake, to every human authority, whether to the emperor, who, by the way, was not a nice guy, as to the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil, live as God's slaves." Do you feel how unnatural this is? I know you do. This is so contrary to our natural feelings. It's contrary to our natural feelings about how to make things better. It's contrary to our natural feelings about what feels strong and effective. You know what feels strong? Defiance feels strong. Submission, that's for suckers. That's weak. That's no way to change the world. And Jesus says exactly the opposite. You know, it's interesting. First Peter, uh, we just looked at chapter 2, verse 13. He's on the same basic topic. He gets down in chapter 3. He's talking to Christian wives who have husbands who are not being obedient to God. And the issue becomes, how is a Christian wife supposed to have a good influence on her husband who's not being obedient to the Lord? And here's what Peter says. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. I think it's pretty much the truth that most wives think 
that the most powerful way, the most effective way to influence their husband, to get him to shape up when he's not, to get him to do what's right, to get him to take on that responsibility that he's supposed to take on, is to talk to him and convince him. Words. If I could just find the right words, I know I could convince this guy to shape up. That's what feels strong. And the Word of God says that's not the way to do it. It doesn't mean you never talk, but the talk is with respect, and that's not the main thing. The main thing is your behavior, your godly, respectful behavior. That's what's strong. It feels weak, but it's strong. What feels strong is actually weak, and it's the same thing in any sphere of life. So, let's check ourselves. A little self-evaluation here. What are we more eager to do when it comes to our leaders? Where does the eagerness lie? Is the eagerness to show those in leadership what a positive difference Jesus makes through our cooperation wherever possible? Or are we more eager to criticize and complain and defy their leadership? Come on, buddy, I dare you. Just say something that I have to say no. Where are we? What's our attitude? So that's with regard to leaders. Well, what about those who aren't leaders? How do we influence them for good? And that's the second positive difference. Treat everybody with respect. Treat everybody with respect. Verse two says to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle. <laughs> and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Treat everyone with respect. To speak evil of someone is to slander them, to insult them, to criticize them behind their back without giving them an opportunity to respond or to clarify. Have you noticed our culture is really into that? All you got to do, and I'm not recommending it, but all you got to do is go on social media and see the way people talk about other people with whom they disagree. What do you find on social media? You find really calm, rational, logical arguments for a particular point of view? No, what do you find? You find insults with anybody with whom you disagree. Just the other day I was driving around and <laughs> I got behind a car that had two bumper stickers that I found really intriguing. Because one of them basically was promoting kindness. Be kind to everybody. Be kind. We need to promote kindness. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's good. Jesus would totally affirm that. And then the other bumper sticker basically compared a certain politician to a sexually transmitted disease that needed to be stopped. And I'm thinking... I'm not sure how calling somebody an infectious disease is promoting kindness. Maybe I'm missing something. That doesn't seem particularly kind. But that sort of thing is everywhere, isn't it? It is everywhere. It's very natural. Jesus calls us to act unnaturally. Look at James 4.9. 3.9. With our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. 
From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. According to the Spirit of Jesus, there's nobody on this planet that it's okay to trash talk. There's nobody it's okay to gossip about. There's nobody it's okay to mistreat in any way. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter what office they hold. It doesn't matter which political party they belong to. It doesn't matter what religion or ethnic group or sexual orientation they identify with. It doesn't matter how much we don't like them. It doesn't matter how much we disagree with them. It's never okay to insult them or demean them in any way because they are made in the image of God. Now, that doesn't mean we have to agree with them. In fact, many times we have to disagree with them even strongly. But notice, we are to treat all people. That little, gigantic, three-letter word. All people with gentleness and courtesy. We don't have to agree with them. As I said, sometimes we have to strongly disagree with them because of what the Bible teaches. But we still have to treat them with gentleness and courtesy. And when you strongly disagree with someone, especially if you think, man, they are just completely going in the wrong way, that is going to be destructive to them, that's going to be harmful, it's really hard to treat them with courtesy and respect. Do you know what will help? Verse 3 will help here. For we ourselves were once foolish disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. In other words, it'll help to remember what it's like to be lost. To be without Jesus. To be without hope. There is no point in getting mad at lost people for acting lost. What else can they do? Instead, we want to show them mercy and kindness because that's what Jesus showed to us. What are we after? We want them to know him. He's the only one that can save us, right? He's the only one that can save us. He's the only one that can save them. People need to see that Jesus really does change us for the better. He re- people really need to see the difference that he makes in how we relate to them. And I'll say this. This is not in my notes, but I feel like it needs to be said. I'm talking about how we treat people who are lost when we disagree. We need to also think about how we treat others who profess to be believers in Jesus when we disagree. Especially when we're talking about disagreements over issues that we do not have a clear cut, this is exactly what you do. Clear cut Bible teaching. So, for example, there are issues today on which sincere believers in Jesus Christ are landing in different places on what obedience to Jesus looks like what it looks like to submit to authorities in that particular situation. You know what? That's not surprising at all that Christians wind up in different places. What is surprising and what is really disheartening 
is when Christians seem to treat other Christians as if they're not being obedient to Jesus. They don't care about following Christ. They don't seem to be at all interested in obeying Jesus because I disagree with what they say or where they are at. Again, I'm talking about issues on which the Bible does not give us a clear cut, this is what you do in this situation. It's okay to say, well, you've landed in a different place than I have, brother, sister. But I know your heart is to be obedient to Jesus, so. So I'm not going to accuse you of disloyalty to Christ. Jesus is this messed up world's only hope. Any changes that we can bring about, and again, I'm not speaking against this, but any changes we can bring about by changing social structures, by changing with legislation, by changing with changing an institution, as good as those can be, you realize it's only until enough people want to change it back, that's only how long it lasts. What really has to change is people. What really has to change is people from the inside out. And Jesus is the only one who accomplished that. Our job is to point them to him. And so we need to show the world the good news of Jesus by showing them the difference he makes in our lives in how we relate to them. So, let's pray. Father, at at times your word is very uncomfortable and it says things to us that either don't completely make sense to us or go very contrary to how we're sort of naturally wired and Lord, it feels like this is one of those times. And I pray that you would help us have the humility to cry out to you and ask you to help us, help us understand, help us believe, help us trust you. Lord, there are authorities that it's really hard to cooperate with. And I pray you would help us know what you want that to look like. And you would help us support and encourage one another, even when we disagree about some of these things. And help us especially be concerned about the reputation we're giving Jesus by how we're living. Help us with this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.